0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more about Trinity, visit our website, trinitychurchdenver.org.
1: We'll start today in the book of Revelation, and we'll be in chapter 19, and we'll read verses 5 through 8. When I'm finished, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Revelation 19, 5 through 8. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. This is the word of the Lord. And now turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And we'll read verses 13 through 29. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will, excuse me. That's verse eight, chapter eight, excuse me. Um, verse 13, consider the work of God who can make straight what he has made crooked. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I've seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man Who prolongs his life in his evil doing? Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in the city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things. Which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. This is the word of the Lord.
0: you, You may be seated. pray with me. God, this morning we come to yet another text that can cause us trouble. It can be sobering to us. And yet, Lord, I pray more than anything else that as we look at your word, we would come to love it. We'd come to love more of how you've made this world. we come to delight in in you at all times, and Lord, I pray uh, that this word would be clear to us, pray that you would uh, point us to your son again this morning in the book of Ecclesiastes, in your name, amen. So last week, I was uh, doing some road biking with one of my brother-in-laws, and I don't know if any of you have been keeping up with the Tour de France, Tour de France. Uh, but... It was much like that. We were on a group ride, my first group ride, with a large group of cyclists, about 35 cyclists. And I was learning about the Peloton. If you don't know what a Peloton is, Peloton is when there's a large group of riders together. And if you sit in the back of that Peloton, you get a nice draft to where you can, along the coast, say California, like I was, you can basically not have to pedal... Because the peloton's pulling you along with it. You're not getting the wind in your face. People in the front are doing all the work for you. This was a delightful thing in my eyes. Uh, And I was just learning about it. Discovering it. It's very new to me. And then we get about halfway on this exceedingly long ride. That I was not prepared for. And my brother-in-law Caleb gets a flat. And we don't have the materials needed for fixing that flat on our own. And there goes the peloton and we were stuck the town by ourselves without what we needed eventually we got flat flat fixed someone came along and helped us and then we were we were riding but the riding was much harder and I found myself saying like verse 10 why were the former days better than these It's very hard writing. It's not very happy about it. It's reflecting on this text out of preparation. And I had to push myself past that thought and learn this in a very personal way. And so far in the book of Ecclesiastes, what we've been doing is we have been looking at different ways in which Solomon wants our eyes to be open. There's a seeming lack of pattern to when there is a time for mourning, when there is a time for dancing, when there is a time to be joyful, and in this text, when there is a time to consider. And it can be quite sobering. So within the vapor, Solomon wants us to see something else today about our trouble. There are glories in life, and there are enjoyments, but they are temporal. There is a pattern but it is not a pattern that we, from our creaturely perspective, might be able to follow. We need to learn the right conclusions that Solomon's laying out before us today, and there are right conclusions. Some, if if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you might find yourself throwing up your hands and saying, why not do a little wickedness and a little righteousness? Not too much, just enough of each, but that's not what Solomon is saying at all. Um... Solomon is actually drawing us to say something something about um, how we're to live in this world. So, when you find yourself in adversity, the question will be how and not why. How do I live? Not why is this happening to me? We'll get there. Um, This world, we love our comforts, we love to stay comfortable. And this word that we have from Solomon today might be a lot like if those in in the big tech world, all these large companies started to put ashes on their logos and say, our employees need to repent. We've been a proud people, and it's actually good for us to be in adversity. There's something we actually need to consider. We need to sit in that. We shouldn't celebrate prime day coming up this week. We should actually get less stuff. We should give things away because all is vanity, just like Solomon's vain life. That's what Solomon, that's kind of a gist of what Solomon is saying. Now, obviously, our world doesn't do that, but that's what Solomon is trying to draw our eyes to consider today. So what do you do when trouble comes? When, when trouble hits and you actually begin to see your own heart more truly, for how it actually is, how you're actually responding. There's crookedness in your life and mine. There's grief. There's death. What Solomon is trying to teach us is how to enter God's crooked scenes, the scenes that he has placed in the play. How do you respond to that? There's a man in his own folly, in his own madness. Who stays focused on being overly righteous. Or overly wicked. And the most interesting characters. And what Solomon is seeking to point those after him toward. Is that there's actually a way to be honest characters in this world. And that is what's to be pursued. To have your eyes open in this world, and not clenched shut. So, this morning, I would call us to consider that we're to be characters who tell the story God has for us, the one he's given to us, the one he's, he's placed us, just tossed us in the middle of the stage and said, do your part, and to take joy in those high points, and to consider this God who he is, what he's like, who he asks us to be in the low points. And so we're going to open, first we're going to to look at observing the nature of man. So would you, if you've opened, if you've closed your Bibles, would you open them again? Look with me at verse 29. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright. But they have sought out many schemes. So there's a holy God, God who is, throughout Ecclesiastes, we see him as present, we see him as sovereign, who's all powerful over everything that happens, that he made us for good. And then you also notice there that man has sought out many schemes. So, what is this scheming? Plotting ways, plotting ways in which we ourselves can try to straighten what God has made crooked. Let me elaborate on that in just a moment. But first, what I want you to see in that, when there's all of man has sought out many schemes. Solomon says just before that in verse 28 that there's only one man in a thousand that he's seen who are wise. It's not very many. Amidst all of our scheming, one man in a thousand. So man, what they do is we man in their own scheme seeks to destroy themselves. We're gonna look at that in verses 15 to 17. We destroy ourselves rather than living our lives, recognizing that we live our lives before God and, and responding in kind. So read with me now in verses 15 to 17. In my vain life, in my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous And do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? You can hear Solomon in this in the wrong way this morning and almost arrive at a place where you take a yin and yang approach to life. Well, what's just a little bit of wickedness and a little bit of righteousness? It's not the right conclusion. That's not the conclusion that, that Solomon's trying to draw us to. No, he's explaining how men, both in their righteousness and in their wickedness, fall on their faces, how they perish, how they might prolong their life just a little bit, but ultimately they're destroying themselves. So scripture doesn't contradict scripture, and this morning we, we, need, to, we need to learn, okay, what is it that this means if elsewhere we know we're to be a holy people? We're actually to live in ways that are pure before God. So what does he mean by not perishing in our own righteousness? Verse 16, by not um, being overly righteous or making yourself too wise. Take what Jesus says uh, in his woes to the scribes and Pharisees. See that in Matthew 23, you see that in Luke, Luke 7 I believe. And we know um, from this that the Pharisees were We're plotting ways to toss off God's laws and make and distort what living. Sorry, I'm seeing my son (laughs) (laughs) distracted. You good? Um, And uh, instead, to put on other laws to distort life for what it's actually about, where we're actually needing to go towards, what we're needing to live for. And what they're really seeking to do in that, the types of characters they're wanting to be are those that pull God down to man, that force, say, well, I actually think this might be a little better than what God has for us. I shouldn't give my property to God, or to, to my father and mother. I shouldn't honor them. I should instead give it to God. Look at Matthew 23 for more of those details, but... The the world also sees some of this. These the ways that we in the church tend to be overly righteous. Right? I've seen a show recently about the Duggar family. I've not seen it, so I'm not going to say anything about it. But just the, you see that on on TV shows, you see it on social media. These ways in which the world is saying, "Look, they are just hypocrites." And the world is actually doing the same thing. So no one, it's, it's not just only talking about the religious that find themselves in synagogues or in churches. It's talking about people who make laws for themselves and seek to, in their own right, say, I will be wise in and of myself. In verse, verse 16, what it says is making yourself too wise. Where are we supposed to look for wisdom? Proverbs talks about wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. So, you're starting on the wrong footing. And that happens in and out of the church. And as high, one of the dangers for us in this room, those of you who are Christians, is that you can be a high-nosed Christian. You can know all the right hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. You know the exact melody, and that they're, I, I only sing songs that are theologically proper. You can know all the right. Theological debates of our day. Make small, punchy comments about them in your circles. The right small comments about them. So people know that you are theologically very sound. You can talk about the right conspiracies politically. Or what's going on in our culture. Make the right, right hooks just to, to hit our culture just the right way. About pride month. And, and that is a danger. It's a danger for us to be too tight-shoed as Christians. It is a danger because what it is is actually worldly wisdom. We have departed from God at some point. We've departed from verse 18, which we'll get to in just a moment. So much of the surrounding context points to, in, in chapter 7, it talks about those who are arrogant, those who, who don't want to be rebuked. They don't want to be um, in, in a funeral home. They'd rather be in the joyful places. Um, they are they're those who are better than, verse 21 and 22, those who, who might say something, a servant who might curse you. Don't you know that there have been times that you, have, you, you yourself have cursed others? Overlook the offenses of others. So that is what Solomon's getting at with being overly righteous. What about being overly wicked? Um, short answer, too much wickedness. Any wickedness. Children, make sure that you take that away today, that you shouldn't be wicked at all. But what Solomon is getting at is there are those who there's a sovereign God who made you and he's given you he, he's, he's given particular laws in this world that work a certain way there's a certain grain to the world and you might find yourself with your own little pocket of sin your own little little secret lie or in, as verses 26 Sorry, 25 and 26 talk about lust. How do we give way to sin and maybe just dabble in it on the side? Um, Consider the work of God. Verse 13, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? I think this actually also relates to when we're faced with temptation, open your eyes Open your eyes to the battle that is present there. Verse 26, open your eyes to the woman who is more bitter than death, whose arms, whose hands are shackles. You just might take another glimpse at that woman. Or secretly be on your computer looking at pornography. Or secretly talking about someone else behind their back, gossiping or slandering about someone. What's a little bit of this? James 1 talks about how all of this, we really need to see it in, in the progressive nature of what sin is. When you allow a little bit of sin in, James 1 talks about how sin, it first lures you, then entices you, it conceives and gives birth to sin, which brings forth death. The little baby is death. There's, there's a progressive nature to sin when you just let a little bit in. And I think what Solomon is trying to do here rather than saying, well, just be righteous and not wicked, is he's, he's, that's not the argument he's making here. He's actually talking um, about something that I think is, is very similar and runs parallel to spiritual warfare. Am I fighting God's enemies or am I serving the trinity of darkness? Am I following the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because there is also a devil in this world. Do you know that there is another schemer? A schemer who would love nothing more than to bite and devour you. Revelation 12 talks about that. Whether in our prosperity or in our adversity, Satan loves to work. And he doesn't just do it at the really hard moments are the really, the best moments. Satan works in smart, mundane ways to try to distract you from what? What does he try to distract us from? Well, I I would argue that in verse 13, he tries to distract us by by seeking to make straight what God has made crooked. Seeking to say... I I don't quite like this uncomfortable thing that God has put me in or I don't quite like this this tendency that God has put in me or this particular relationship I'm in. I, I don't like being in this marriage. And so instead of trying to deal with it honestly before God, we deal with it in our own ways. We try to be overly wise. We try to just dabble in wickedness, deal with the stress of it. But spiritual warfare is something that when, when you put on the armor of God, as the New Testament talks about several times, you, this is something we do in the offensive. It's not just a passive, defensive thing when things come along. We actually have to deal with, amidst our physical realities, the cosmic realities, the reality of their being. I either am a character who's going to live my life in submission to God, in fear of Him, or I'm going to ignore him. I'm going to try to cover it with my own little laws or my own pleasures. So faced with our own typical sin patterns, this is a call to fight the way you, you might most naturally respond in your own scheming. A Christ-like stare on this stage He's not going to just scheme. He's going to fight the sin in his own heart, the flesh, the world, and the devil. And so what is the response? If, if we are in spiritual warfare and we're to know that we, above all else, need to do something, what is Solomon calling us to? Look with me at verse 18. It is good that we should take hold of this. It's good that we should take hold of not being overly wicked, not being overly righteous or wise. It's good that we should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. It's good. um, I was reflecting on this this week. It's, It's actually really good. That there are certain things in our lives that are a mystery to us, that I, I, would, really, I would love to draw a conclusion about, well, why has God made this this way? Why, why has He made this crooked? You ask lots of "why" questions. And counseling, especially when we're talking about when I talk with people about grief, one of the main questions that come up comes up is why? Why is this happening? What, what caused this? It's actually really good that God conceals certain things from our own understanding because what it does is rather than them being able to attach ourselves to some sovereign perspective of understanding why everything happens in our own lives, and then what we would, what we would do that with that is we would scheme and say, well, I'm, I'm going to make these laws around it so it doesn't happen again or I stay comfortable. But what God wants more than anything is that we would be tethered to him That I would actually bind myself to him. Jesus talks about this in Luke 6. He says, we um, are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In all times, cling to him. So seek first Christ. And all your other needs, what does it say about that? All your other needs will be provided for you. The wonderful mystery of binding our lives to this Lord is that in Christ, we have the most important answers. And then we are given a lot, a space lot, uh, a lot to deal with in our own lives, a story in which we are to live as god fears, as those who bind ourselves to him and speak our lines in such a way that honors him, that at times trembles before him and loves him. This God, his counsels, they're puzzling to us. They are higher, uh, his ways are higher than heaven. What Solomon is saying here is, there's, there's things that I just, in my own wisdom, verse 23, when he attempts to be wise at understanding the nature of things that happen to us, He says, it was far from me. He says, I will be wise, but it was far from me. So with Solomon, we are to consider, consider the work of God. And that word consider, another way to translate that would be see. Open your eyes. Look. What are the ways that you like to handle your adversity when it comes God has made it. Verse fourteen says, "God has made the one as well as the other. He's made our adversity." So there's something we actually need to know about that. Something we're to learn in in saying it's it's not just enough to mourn. We're we're not trying to to become people who just love when suffering happens. And, and to relish in it. Say, oh, my life is just suffering, like the Buddhist. That's not what, what we're after. But we are after binding ourselves to God. And what adversity tends to do is it broadens our scope. It broadens our scope from saying, I, I might only be focusing on this in my own heart, and God has given me something else, and who am I? Who am I to tell God what he does with his purposes? Have you ever thought about that? When when we actually kick against him in all the different ways we scheme to straighten things he's made crooked, what does that character actually look like on the stage? What what does it actually look like? It's pathetic. Someone who kicks against their own author rather than finding ways to live in line with what he's handed to us, with how he's authored our lives. And so this this is where we find out that mourning is better than laughter with Job. Job had to learn what he says early on in the book of Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. That's a sobering message for us today, that, that there's actually... Someone might die in your life tomorrow. You might be diagnosed with a terminal disease in a month. The rest of your story is written in God's book. And he alone knows it. So when your face hits the dirt, what do you do? Solomon seems to echo here what, what David talks about in one of the Psalms, where he says, It's better to be, to be a doorkeeper for a day in God's courts than to spend a thousand elsewhere. Where else would we go than to the living God? We were made to be near this God. So do you draw near to Him in prayer? Do you sing? Amidst your adversity, or do you say, I, I don't quite like that? Look to the life of Jesus. How did he live amidst adversity? How did he live when there were schemers all around him plotting to kill him? Jesus spoke in response to his Father's will, he spoke and he acted in line with his Father's will. He said it was good. He, he delighted in this God even amidst the crookedness. Because that is what a good character in God's world does. And that's what a good character needed to do instead of the first Adam to give the other, all the characters in the world a way out, a new head. And so, look closely at God's life. At the, at the life of Jesus Christ. And would you look closely at what happens at the cross? The cross was a very crooked act. It was a very crooked tree that bore all the crookedness, all the schemes of those who love God who fear him verse 26 at the end of that where it talks about the lustful woman it says he who pleases god escapes her but the sinner is taken by her we have all been taken by our own lusts by our own schemes but this god has had one one man who pleased him and that is his son Jesus Christ and he came he's lived a life that we couldn't live in our own schemes he died the death we deserve to die and he bore our sins he bore the wrath of God that we might be schemers made renewed and you look at that cross you can look at that cross as a non-christian you can say that's pathetic or you can see it as a Christian you can say that is how my heart was made straight that is how he renewed me and you can take joy in that today you can come to this table and you can say God is pleased with me because of the son who made all things straight with crooked lines and he just did that in his own life in the incarnation who does that by the spirit in our lives the father who sovereignly does that in each of our lives do you trust that today so we always have to return to this gospel with gratitude i am a sinner and Just so that we don't lose sight of what what righteousness we are called to, I want to end with 1 John 2, 28 and 29, where John says it best. It says, Now little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink back, and not shrink from him him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So in the last analysis, with adversity tends to draw us to the end. It draws us to considering where our life is heading towards. And our lives are heading towards a last analysis. So in the times when you so badly wish that this season would be over or if you could just be in those former days seek God seek Him and cling to Him tether yourself to Him determined to live on the offense in killing your own pride as, a, as the culture crumbles around you weep Realize that that's actually a really good place to be in. That there's something that's good there for us to learn when we are tethered to God. And weep for those who are not. Weep for the neighbor who lives on in being overly righteous and saying all the right things for their friends and, and doing just a little wickedness here saying it's it's fine, forgetting that their life is lived on a stage under God. And one of the things, uh, this book, Soldier of the Great War, I thought of the main protagonist in that book, his name's uh, Alessandro Giuliani. He's Italian going into the First World War, and he... He's a professor of aesthetics, which is an interesting thing to see how that plays out throughout the book. Because what he does, as as a professor of aesthetics in war, in tragedy, in hilarity, he sees all the beauty of it. And as Christians who know all the answers necessary in Christ... We're called to see the beauty in everything. And we can see the beauty in tragedy. We can see the beauty of God in immense suffering, in being rebuked, in being found as arrogant, and not taking yourself too seriously when you discover that. But actually saying, I fear God. And, and because of that, I am going to work to tell my story in such a way that reflects The fear of the living God that reflects life lived under Him, that tells a story that's actually about God and how He has worked wonders in my life, how He has worked goodness in crookedness. So, kids or teens, I I plead that you'd see this this morning, particularly verse 13. And 14, where it talks about there actually being things in your life at some point that are going to be really hard. They're going to feel really just messed up and crooked. And, and where is God in my life when that is happening? God is near. In Ecclesiastes, over and over and over again, what it is pointing us to is seeing his nearness and his sovereignty. That he has not left us to ourselves. Remember that this morning. And to those of us who are overly righteous, who struggle with that, um, stop trying to intellectually win the day. Actually, there's, there's something far better for us when we rest in God. And that's, that's the beauty of Sundays, of coming to a Sabbath every week in which we're to rest in God and what he gives to us a wonderful weekly reminder to rest from your labors and turn to him whether you're in a time of prosperity that is joyful which you really should enjoy you don't need to seek out suffering or if you're in a time of adversity and we need to take a really close look at what God must be like there pray to him, draw near to him and the way we draw near to him this morning is at this table, it's in feasting It's remembering that at the last analysis, we're actually, by the body and blood of Jesus Christ, we're bound to God. So would you take joy in that this morning as we take communion together? Would you pray with me?